We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And folks, it's a celebration over here, baby. Woo! It's like throw bubble games at Chris. Yeah, you do that all the time. You just <laughs> open beers and then you just skip them across my kitchen table. <laughs> One of the perks of being friends with me. You know, it's <laughs> I can tell there are you. no perks to being friends with you at all. Oh, folks, we are just another week closer to the NFL draft. We have a packed show for you here tonight. Is Pat Moran from the Talking Buffalo podcast is going to be making his first appearance here. We're going to be talking about a draft season topic that I'll say that you guys will understand. I'm usually I don't I wouldn't touch with a ten foot pole. I don't know, Chris. I'm just feeling I'm feeling different. I mean, I, I, I'm feeling, I feel like yeah, it's kind of odd that you're going to uh, devote a one podcast to talking about mock drafts. Uh, it's weird, right? I'm nervous. I'm yeah. genuinely nervous about it because I, far be it for me. I mean, I, I, they're almost on par with the NFL combine for me. But before we launch into any of tonight's festivities, we have to celebrate. Uh, get, folks, Mr. Reed Ferguson. Had announced on Sunday the birth of his daughter, Blakely Ferguson. I, Chris, how pumped are you for Reed? Girl dad. Yeah, sure. I don't know what that means. I just, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Twitter hashtag, but yeah, we know Reed's going to make a, a great dad. No, I mean, he might, again, he's the only adult male I've never heard utter a curse word, a legitimate one. I've yeah. heard him dang and on. Uh, I've, heard him, I've heard him say, oh, I've heard him say, dang it. And shoot with enough venom that it sounds like he's dropping an F-bomb. But it's just, <laughs> it, yeah. it's incredible to me. Now, I think he's going to make a great dad. I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his family. And I'm happy because you had to drink a Seagram's 
Well, first of all, the gender of the baby, Costia Seagram's. Yeah, we didn't have, but we didn't have anything outside of that. No, but it's funny because you had created power rankings for the baby's name. That's correct. Which he was thrilled about. Yeah, I made power rankings, and uh, I think it came from your wife, Larissa, telling me early on in the pregnant in the in their pregnancy that she had heard a couple of like names that probably never made like the final list. But I didn't know what those names were, and Larissa was like, "I don't get it. Because <laughs> you're not from the South. You haven't spent time in the South. The South's a, a different animal." I was under the impression that the baby's name was going to be a common last name. Last is, name is that as, a Southern thing? That's a Southern thing. Last name as a first name. I'll give you power rankings that I had. I gave it to Reed once they did the gender reveal, and I gave him the boy names since it wasn't going to be a boy. Uh, number five, boy. It's also number five for the girl, uh, Ferg. <laughs> Ferg Ferguson, F-E-R-G. Ferg Ferguson. First of all, I feel like no one would ever name their child Ferg Ferguson. Um, that, that's a jerk move. You're, you're setting your kid up for a lifetime of ridicule. Yeah, well, what's your wife going to do? Get out of bed and sign the the birth certificate? <laughs> no, that's on you. You you got two legs. You're walking around. You sign everything. You could easily do that. Oh my god! It might result in divorce, but you know, to me, it's worth it. For one of those, it's it's. Of course, you could, but should you? Yes, you should. <laughs> number the, uh, number four. The uh, yeah, number four. I had is Sawyer. Number three was Carter. Number two, Bennett. And number one, Lincoln. Those are my boy power rankings. Lincoln. Like Lincoln Riley, the uh, Oklahoma coach who can't cook brisket. Yeah. Or Abraham Lincoln, the guy that got shot in the theater. I think that was... Yeah, that's coming up this week. That, that, that That's a day in history this week. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln this, was shot. this week or, or early last week. Now for... The girl, obviously, Ferg, Ferguson, five. Four, I went with, like, a combination of names. Like, because I have Madden, Maddie, Madison. Like, anything that you could morph okay. out of. Okay, all right. Yeah, that was all four. Three was Quinn. Quinn? Yeah, like Aaron Quinn. Last <laughs> name is a first name. Because we know that Aaron Quinn has soft features, like a female. <laughs> Number two, number two, I had was uh, Bailey, and number one Riley. Which, when I showed them the power rankings, they actually both liked Riley. So maybe that'll be a future name. See, so if they have another girl, I will take all of the credit for naming the second daughter if they have one, and they go Riley. See, I like those, but because most of them sound like tomboy names. And if I had a daughter, I would want her to be like Icebox from the Little Giants. Like, that's... <laughs> I don't know what that is. I mean, based on my genetics, she probably has no choice but to look like me, so she'll end up there anyway, but... Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. Well, the other thing that I did was I did write down the... If I pull it up on my phone, I wrote down what I thought would be all of the statistics of the baby. If it was a, <laughs> If it was a boy... April 23rd, a.m. birth, 10 pounds, 3 ounces, 23 inches long, if it was a boy. Girl, April 27th, p.m. birth, 8 pounds, 9 ounces, 19 inches long. I thought, I figured first one, usually, usually you don't do, it's not early. 
At least, because when I was thinking of all this, I went through, like... I love how Chris all of a sudden has all of his intimate knowledge of childbirth, like he's a doula, or some kind of... Like, he knows anything. Well, like, me and my, me and my brother, we were born on our due date, and I, I know another, a couple other people in my family, like, first born, they were all late. So in my head, I'm just like, that just happens all the time to everybody. <laughs> first one's usually on time or late, so, you know, I was like, two weeks... Two and a half weeks off there, but this has become like one of those, uh, like a crackpot version of those. The more you know, NBC like promo PSA things. Yeah, don't think I'm not going to do this again when they have baby number two. Jesus. Well, I'll tell you what. To celebrate Reed Ferguson, and just as a celebration of the, the expanding Ferguson family, we have a beer review, and it's his beer. That's right. First Line Brewing in Orchard Park, New York, brewed uh, a beverage called Mr. Nice. And if you look at the can, it's the 26-shirt Mr. Nice logo character, right? Yep. His signature on the can. And it's like the guy standing on a football field. Now, it's a Buffalo-style IPA. It's all it says in the can. 6.8% alcohol. This was canned on the 24th of March, so it's relatively fresh. And here's what I'll tell you. This one, in and of itself, because there's no explanation on the can, but it was, what, there's some, some pineapple. I know, like, the, 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 when we were at the brewery for Reed's birthday party, they were explaining to me what went into it. It was pineapple, um, I want to say guava? Maybe. they they A lot of the same-sounding things that were in that sneaky tiki beer that I wanted to launch directly into the sun. Yeah, from Hamburg Brewing, but... Reed did a lot. Well, he didn't do a lot, but he did some of the brewing of that beer unknowingly. What and by some of the brewing, he was handed things to pour into a vat that were pre-measured. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, First Line Brewing in Orchard Park, New York, they actually do things that they open up to the public where you come in and you can watch the brewing process. And you can learn a little bit about making some beer and they give you some background on the beers that they make. It's a great time. Well, they trick Reed into helping brew his own beer. And so we're here to crack a fresh can of Mr. Nice and I'm going to give it a whirl. Give it a little critique here. Now, Chris, I'm nervous because I hated that sneaky tiki beer. I hated it. I mean, if I owned Hamburg Brewing Company and that's how a beer that I invested time and money in came out, I would hire someone, right? I would put someone on the payroll for one day, and their job would be like kind of like in dirty work to punch whoever came up with the idea for that beer in the stomach. Like that's it. You get a full day's pay, and that's that's your task. There. So I'm going to pour you a little beverage that's here, Chris. Good. Now it's it looks thick. It looks like almost creamy. Good All color right. to it. It's starting to thin out. All right. It's a much thicker looking beer already than the last fruit beer like this I had. Hey, cheers to Reed. To Reed. Hmm. That's interesting. It's got like a milky. I don't know. There is a creaminess to this beer that wasn't. The last one was thin and watery. This one has a little more body to it. There's no hops at all. It's very fruit forward. I'm, I'm getting, I get the pineapple, and there's some some other fruit on the back end. I don't know what, the, I can't put my finger on what it is. I wish I would have wrote some of that stuff on the can. Mm. Chris, this is drinkable. I don't know if I could have a ton of them, but this is a nice beer. On a hot day, I could definitely do one of these. 
I mean, I think it's like most of your shandies and your other, you know, if you guys are into that kind of stuff, then you probably love this beer. For me, on a hot day, I could probably do about one of them. It's a 16-ounce can. I'm telling you, go check it out. First Line Brewing. I, I would I would recommend this to people. I would. I think it's a four-pack for 20 bucks. First Line Brewing, Orchard Park. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so with that, we get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's show, our NFL Draft Preview Series. And we continue talking about something that you guys know I ridicule to death. We're talking mock drafts tonight with Pat Moran of the Talking Buffalo Podcast. Sir, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, man. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really happy to be on with two of the legitimate OGs of the Buffalo Bills podcasting community. <laughs> and I say that with the utmost of flattery, man. I really mean it. It's, uh, good, to, it's good to talk to you guys and to be on the show. I'll say this. it. Uh, so, <laughs> guys, you saw it on Twitter. We, we went on his show. We recorded uh, with him earlier, uh, earlier this week. <laughs> it's funny when I hear people say that. You know, oh, the OGs. My liver feels every one of these. My liver feels every one of these Bill seasons that we've been podcasting for. For those of you who have been living under a rock, over at moreanalytics.com, he's the creator and host of the Talking Buffalo podcast, newcomer to the Blue Wire Podcast Network, which I'll raise a glass to you for. Hey, cheers. And he's a TV series and sitcom connoisseur and official wing ranker, which I find incredibly interesting. So before we dig into... (laughs) Mock draft talk. Just a little bit for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with your show. First of all, you as a person, I always like to do a little QA to get help people get to know you. Your favorite moment as a Bills fan. What was it? If you could pin put a pin in one moment and say this was the most fun I had rooting for the Buffalo Bills. I would say, and maybe I tend to forget about things as I get older and remember things that are more recent a little more predominantly. But honestly, I would say New Year's Eve 2016 going in, or 2017, I should say, New Year's Eve when the Bills beat Miami and then the Andy Dalton pass. And I say it for this reason. Not as much the Bills going to the playoffs. It was because I had moved to Florida um, about a year before that, maybe a year and a half before that. And I was up in Buffalo for the holidays and I was with God, man, it must have been 30, 40 people, all family, watching the game, 
It's a tradition in our family. Just, you know, some drinks, some food, spending quality time with your family and watching the game. And just the sheer, again, the Bills beating Miami kind of became a foregone conclusion, but the Baltimore-Cincy game was the drama. And when that touchdown pass happened, just the explosion in the house of pure joy, and it was on New Year's Eve, I'll never forget it. That might have been my favorite moment as a Bills fan because the rest of that night, that was one of the greatest New Year's Eves ever because we were all on a football high. And again, to be able to have that moment with so much family, I think that's what would put it over the top. Now, I know there's been bigger bigger moments in history, but my favorite one is probably that one. I love that one too, just simply because I didn't drink for that game because I went out and I Ubered after the game. It's like if, if the Bills pull this off, they get in the playoffs, the city's going to be nuts, and uh, I'm going to make a lot of money tonight Ubering. <laughs> so here, here's what I distinctly remember about that night. First of all, I got sent to the bathroom. I like like the mush in a Bronx tale. They were like, Drew, go back to the bathroom. So I took four beers in there, and I had to sit there while Andy Dalton threw that pass. I didn't see it. Because every time I left the room to go to the bathroom, something good would happen for Cincy. And as soon as I came back, the Ravens would start coming back. So they kicked me out of the room. I missed it, but it didn't matter to me. I cried. And just Chris, you know, our relationship is special. You know, we're opposite ends of the emotional spectrum where Chris is. I mean, we're both kind of dead inside when it comes to things. But Chris has no emotion whatsoever. And I can be an emotional guy when it comes to anger or when it comes to being overjoyed. So I cried and I hugged Chris. And I just remember him saying in my ear, please stop. This is super uncomfortable. (laughs) It's uncomfortable watching you cry. This is weird. I have to leave. Uh, like that was just you're right that, that that's a great moment now you as also a fellow drinker your favorite beer or cocktail well I know people are going to say that I'm doing this for effect I'm legitimately I don't know it's my favorite beer but I drink Bush Light all the time it's the cheapest beer in the world and I like it I am anti you probably I'm going to tell you that right now like down here well it's the same way in Buffalo but like in Florida all the the craft breweries and all these fancy $7 pints. I hate them all, bro. I hate them. <laughs> Give me a Bud Light. And I know this is corny and generic, and I, I'm willing to live with those consequences. But I like, I don't know. I just like regular-ass domestic beer, and I know that's not going to hey, tickle your fancy or many people listen, out there. I'll tell you this. I do, Don't let the sweater vest I'm wearing right now fool you. Here's what I'll, here's what I'll say. I grew up in North Collins. All right. I mean, we used to steal OV splits off my buddy's grandfather's front porch. That was the beer we had our hands on. And I drank Keystone all through college. I still enjoy Miller Lite. It's probably one of, it's probably one of the domestic beers that I think tastes most like a beer but is light enough that I can drink 30 of them and not, you know, over the course of right. a football Sunday and it doesn't matter. It's kind of a throwaway thing. It's like an aperitif. I just kind of, yeah, you chew your way through these and yeah, usually you, Miller Lite is your like is your like go-to when you hit your your peak <laughs> of drinking and then you want to just coast on that. I'm going to coast on Miller Lite. You coast on on Miller Lite, but I mean, for Pat to say Bush Light, I mean, I think Mark Smith's going to just start listening to his podcast now. Oh, he's a subscriber already. He's already he's, he heard that and he's already subscribed. I mean, he's Mark Smith is the guy who famously showed up to one of our tailgates hungover with a we, he said, hey, I'll bring something. I'll bring a food to the tailgate party and I'll bring some beer. He showed up with a case of Schmidt 
with a salmon on the can, and he showed up with a cold bucket of KFC chicken, which honestly heated up on the grill was damn good. I I feel bad yeah. trash talking him for it in retrospect. But he's a lawyer. You would think <laughs> he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. You would think he would uh, shell out for the finer things in life. But now, now you recently tweeted that the most famous person you've ever had a beer with was Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and I need to know more about that. I covered so I had a blog at the time, and there was an '80s bash at uh, man, I don't remember where it was. It was somewhere in Western New York, though, somewhere in Lancaster. I can't remember. I do remember that it was headlined by Tiffany, 80s pop star Tiffany. Wow. Um, Dating yourself there, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was there. And I had, I was fronting. I mean, I was a nobody, but I had this pass. So I got to go ahead of all these people with autographs. And I had a a beer. And I started talking to them. It It was not even a real interview. It was like the most generic thing ever. But like we were literally five feet from a bar. And he was finishing his beer. I said, if he wanted a beer, and he did. And I went and got him a beer and came back. Which, by the way, he literally, and I'm not exaggerating, he chugged it. Oh, Jesus. He chugged it. Fans started telling him to chug it, and then he chugged it. So it didn't last long, but technically I did have a beer with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, but it was in Western New York at a, one of those 80s bashes, which I love those things, man. That's awesome. Now, this is a little, we're getting closer to football for our listeners who are like, oh, you're talking, but they know. We talk about beer. We, we, we talk shit. And guess what? If you guys don't like it, it's our podcast. I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> you're just along for the ride. What is being a football dad like? Now, I, I hate getting mushy, but I'm a father. And I look at my son and I'm like, I would love for you to play the game of football. I'd love to play a hand in you acclimating to the game of football. You've lived that. I mean, not just having a son who plays football, an all-state linebacker in the state of Florida, a state rife with talent. Your son was a standout. What was it like being a football dad? Probably one of, it is, the. it's probably the biggest joy of my adult life. And it, you hear the term all the time when you live vicariously through someone. I legitimately have done that <laughs> at times to a fault. I've been his biggest fan. I, I've been, you know, the biggest prick to him, too. I don't let him get away with anything, which, again, sometimes you got to just let a kid be a kid. Uh, I, I love it. It's fun. And, and I realize how blessed I am. And I'm glad you mentioned Florida, by the way, because, you know, my, my son's a good player. He's. Depends what you're comparing him to. Are you comparing him to Power 5 kids? Then no. But he can hold his own. And the thing about Florida, Drew, and I'm telling you, I know you're a football guy. I, I, I can't explain it to people. You, you have to see it with your own eyes. The talent level, the talent pool in Florida for high school football is unlike anything I've ever seen. Now, I've covered high school football in Buffalo for a long time. And you get great players that come through you know, Chad Kelly and Akeel Lynch. Every couple of years, you get a couple of really good players. Mm-hmm. Down here, dude, man, there's not a, a team on the schedule that they play against all four of his years here where there's not a multiple D1 players and a handful of D2 players. Now, my kid's going to a D2 school to play football. COVID kind of ruined a lot of things, but in the grand scheme of things, just grateful to even have opportunities and, you know, to be here. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to sound you know, ungrateful or anything like that or make excuses or, or complain about anything. But like down here being a, 
a football player goes to a D1 or a D2 program, there's five to seven kids on almost every roster that are playing somewhere D1 or somewhere D2 almost every year. But to answer your question, man, yeah, it's a thrill. I played high school football. I was okay. You know, <laughs> I was a borderline starter. I was, I'm sure I was way better in my mind than I ever was on the field. Like if there would have been videos out like there is now to be able to, you know, huddle and all this stuff, when I would have watched my highlight tapes, I'm sure it would have been not impressive. But <laughs> I liked playing. I love football. I'm a football guy. And to be able to have a son who's not just a good football player, but he's a good kid, you know, and to have an opportunity to uh, see him play high school football against the best of the best. And like you said, he, he did stand out. He was, a, he was a good player. And to have the opportunity, God willing, for uh, him to go on to the next level and play some college football, yeah, man, I, I can't wait. I'm, I'm through the roof excited. <clears throat> See, and I love that stuff. And, I mean, that, that's it. Like, I'm looking forward to football. Now, we're going to talk a little inside baseball. Just, just talking about podcasting. Moreanalytics.com, which is, was the name of your former podcast. Now, <laughs> Do you ever find it difficult running a solo podcast? I know I'd go crazy without Chris here. Like if I did, if I was just a person in a room. That's because we know our own roles. Like you're the host of the show. All the content comes from your brain. I handle all the production to make sure you sound smarter than you look. Okay. Well, here. Okay. Well, here's this. There's also been times where I've had a couple wobbly pops. And I've yelled at Chris that I thought I could produce the show better than him. I thought he made some mistakes, and I'm a control freak by nature. So I said, you know, get out of here. Let me, I'm, I'm going to edit this. And Chris laughed and let me take the chair. And I looked like I realized very quickly that I look like an orangutan trying to type Shakespeare. And I just gave him <laughs> back the computer. I was like, all right, all right, this, does, this doesn't work. How hard is it running a solo podcast? Well, let me say this. I knew when, when I decided I was going to do the podcast, yes, it is technically a solo podcast, but it's not really a solo podcast because I think everyone in podcasting, or at least they should, they, know, they should know what they're good at and what they're not good at. And I would never be able to have a solo podcast where it was just me, like Joe Marino does or Bruce Nolan does now. Those guys do it so well. In a million years, I would I would suck at that. I knew before I even did my first episode, I decided my format was going to be a variety show where I would have different guests on from local sports, Buffalo, some national people, sports media, news media people. I've had sh- I've had people from American Idol on my podcast. You had Adam Schefter had- on your show. But that's yeah. not yeah. that's not nothing. And I know that when and this is what I love about you, you talk to to try to talk to you about that, you'll kind of downplay it because that's it's kind of who you are. I almost feel like it's a Rust Belt mentality. The people who are from Buffalo, there's not a lot of people here who like to brag about things. It's always just, oh yeah, I did this thing once, and it's it's kind of cool. I know you're proud of that, and I would be too. I mean, that's incredible. I am proud of it. And it's funny because when he was on the show, I made the mistake of, and he was uncomfortable. I called him a star, like a, a mega star, a superstar a couple times. And he did not like that. He made it a point throughout the interview. And I mean, God bless him, man. He sat down with me for like an hour and four minutes, which I thought was incredible. It wasn't just like some quick radio hit kind of style. Talked about his life and his career. And he talked so much about 
rejection in so many things. Like he ended up going to Michigan, but he applied to like eight schools. He got rejected at all of them before ultimately he got into Michigan. And he talked about, you know, he ended up on ESPN because NFL Network didn't want to pay him. They yep. want to give him a good deal. So he kind of got rejected by them. And that's how, you know, obviously things played out. But anyway, yeah, I, I always knew that what I wanted to do was just have different types of people on and talk about their lives and their careers and kind of pull the curtain back a little bit. Like, for an example, like Sal Capaccio. Everyone knows he's the Bills sideline reporter and works for WGR. First time I ever had him on the podcast, I don't think we talked Buffalo Bills for 30 seconds. You know, we just talked about him growing up. It's like he, he lived in Florida, too, for like almost a decade he was down here. So we talked about all that kind of stuff. And it just it was my process. My thought was giving fans an opportunity to know more about people beyond just the work that they do. So my long winded answer is I do technically have a solo podcast, but it's not really solo. If it was just me talking, it would be gone within a month because I'd be absolutely <laughs> horrible. At, I'd be horrible at it. Well, you and me both. And I guess that's one of the things that I find impressive is that you, because you have the, there's sometimes Chris, I mean, we talk about it all the time. I'm accountable to my listeners and to Chris. In Some days I just, I, there's days where I'm, I get in the truck to come here and I feel like I don't have it in me. But on the drive over here, I start thinking about all the people who I like, I can't wait till this person, like we have a bit set up that this person's going to enjoy, or I know that Chris is looking forward to this and that gets me excited for that. And it really does. And I think that developing a relationship with both your listeners and the person you're doing it with is so important to my, I guess my approach to this, that Knowing that you're kind of like you're doing this on your own, I'm I'm just impressed. I really am by the, the the time, the dedication to it, the number of episodes you put out. Also, the fact that you went through the rebranding of a podcast—that's something that scared would scare the hell out of me. Like it really would. When you shifted from more analytics podcast to the Talking Buffalo podcast, do you were you worried? <laughs> Are you worried at all that it wouldn't translate? I was worried in terms of people that I was fortunate enough to get on the show early on. Some pretty good guests, some significant guests. I was worried when I when I would come to them with talk about Buffalo Podcast. They they would might recognize the name or analytics podcast, but not understand what Talking Buffalo Podcast was. Yes, I was worried because Talking Buffalo is what it sounds like. Talking Buffalo. When it was analytics, I literally could have any topic all the time the difference what i didn't like and i didn't know at the time and again i was so you know wet behind the ears when it came to podcasting when i first started i i had no idea i watched some videos but i didn't really understand how podcasting works so to speak and you got to learn it's trial and error and you guys know that better oh, than for anybody. sure <laughs> but a lot of error over i got there. to a point <laughs> i i have a good buddy of mine or at least he was a good buddy of mine at the time anyway i was looking for suggestions to, to have a podcast. I was talking amongst my friends and the name or analytics. I'm not an analytics guy. It's just a kind of a sarcastic play on my last name, Moran. So Moranalytics. I just thought it would be cool. But then it started getting to a point where when I'm starting to explain to people that I'm meeting, whether it might have been a potential sponsor or just a friend down here who doesn't really know my podcast and trying to explain what the hell is a Moranalytics you know what I mean? It, was, it got a little mm-hmm. frustrating to me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have to take a stab here and rebrand. And interestingly enough, 
Do you guys remember the song in the early 80s, Talking Proud? It was the, the big jingle, Buffalo's yeah. got Talking Proud. Well, I legally went through so many loopholes, tracked the guy down who actually owned the publishing rights for that, got legal permission to use it on the podcast when I first made it Talking Buffalo podcast. And then I realized, ain't nobody know what that song was or gave a shit about it. <laughs> they, I heard so many people say, what is this? Or that, that song sucks or whatever. And I got offended and angry because I'm like, I remember that song. I'm a little older. So I remember that as a young kid, that campaign, the Talking Frog campaign. But yeah, man, nobody liked it. So that song did not last long. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, man. Sure. I'll tell you what. That's funny because like we talked about it on your show earlier in the week that just navigating those channels, copyright, like it's it's really easy to go out there and pick a name to know that sure. you're not going to step in any because what happens if it takes off and then you find yourself in copyright infringement? You get right. your hand slapped real quick. Sure. We, Chris, up top, I mean, we, we started an LLC specifically because I'm like, I never want to have to worry about that. But at the same time, it's one of those things where you don't want to lose sleep at night worrying about what might happen. And you never know. So knowing that you put that much thought into it, I like that. I really do. It speaks to how you approach your craft. Now, one of the <laughs> things as we get closer to this mock draft conversation, which, oh, Chris, you know how I feel about mock drafts. I mean, you love power rankings. This is one of the things I find I think is most unique to you individually. You are a guy who loves just ranking things. I mean, you recently power ranked DMX songs in, in respect of his passing. You recently, I mean, you, you go to your website, moreanalytics.com. You have rankings of sitcoms and sitcom episodes and different franchises that you're like, hey, here's my top 10 for this. You have a podcast that you do routinely with Del Reed where you guys <laughs> rank different things. 80s music. You are a big ranker of 80s music. You like to put things in sequential order according to how you value them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not the most... Uh, you know, if I was a single guy and I was trying to put myself out there, I don't think that's what I would lead off with them when it comes to things that I like to do. But yeah, no, but it's what you know. You're not making a dating profile with that, but I'll tell you, I love to rank <laughs> shit. Hey, ladies, <laughs> you pop your collar on your denim jacket from the. <laughs> but but there's something to be said about this. Like, what does it do for you personally? Like. Personally, because I find that some like we talk about the fact that I waterboard Chris with charts. I have an itch that I feel like I have to scratch. I feel like I have to take this information or I have a question in my head and I have to chase it down to into the minutia of the data. I have to put it out. I have to be able to graph it or quantify it. And then I can make sense of it in my head. Is that how ranking things is for you? Like, do what is the compulsion for that? And I'm not saying it's like a bad thing. I like it. I'm just interested to know like what it is that drives your want to rank so many things. It is brain exercise for yes. me. Yes, it, it truly is. I know that sounds like a really uh, rudimentary answer and no, simple, that's... but it is. It, it's. I just like to. I feel like it keeps my brain sharp. I feel like it's um, in some ways. Like for an example, power ranking DMX songs. It brings me back often too, especially when it's a category that you know, spans 15, 20 years down the road. So 
there's a lot of reasons why I like doing it. No one specific reason. Well, another big reason, too. And it's kind of along the lines of why I even started my podcast to begin with. So I moved to Florida in 2016. And to be completely honest with you guys, at the time, I couldn't get out of Buffalo fast enough. I had basically spent my whole life there. I always wondered what it would be like living in another part of the country. And there were other factors. It wasn't just me being bored with oh, Buffalo sure. and, and stuff like that. There were other factors. My son, uh, my is. wife got a promotion. But at the end of the day, I, I wanted to get out. I, I was tired of being cold. I was tired. It always felt like nothing was ever changing. It was always the same old, same old. So anyway, so I come down to Florida and what, I swear to God, man, less than a year later, I started realizing how much things that you kind of take for granted in Buffalo are just the, the, the comfort of Buffalo. And I, and I just started getting so bored down here. I kind of shut my mind off. So one reason why I started the podcast to ever begin with was to kind of get myself mentally and emotionally connected back to Buffalo, because even from, even when it was Moran analytics podcast, still 85, 90% of my episodes were with Buffalo people. And we talked about Buffalo things. So that kind of kept me connected and it's kind of the same way when, like, when I like to do power rankings. Some of them are for fun and goof, and some of them I kind of take semi-serious anyway. Duh. But it's just, yeah, it's, it's a brain exercise, man, and it just keeps me engaged and a little bit less bored in Florida. So semi-serious. Let's talk about how you've become kind of the de facto, like, Chris, can I say this? And I, I think I'm correct. Pat Moran's wing rankings are talked about. <laughs> Like, yeah. it's a thing on social I, media. People I, talk about this. And I've seen them for years, and I go, what the fuck are they, what are we talking about here? Like, what, I've gone win through, rankings? I've gone through but his. But then his, we look at them, and I go, okay, I see what this is. And over time, I've gotten used to the concept. And you have kind of become one of the, you were at the forefront of that. And now, obviously, other people have come out with theirs. But you were doing it before. You, you, it's like the history I've thing. Looked, you were doing it before it was cool. I've looked <laughs> at his list before, like be, uh, because I've seen uh, Dalmatia Hotel on one of your lists, and I was just happened to be passing through Tonawanda. I mean, you don't ever want to just <laughs> settle anywhere in Tonawanda. Uh, I remember seeing Dalmatia Hotel on on one of his lists, and I think kind of high up there. But like when I whenever whenever I go to a place to get chicken wings, especially that I have not been there bef- that I've never been before, it's kind of like uh, like Dave Portnoy's pizza reviews. How he just gets the cheese. Like, give me twenty hot. Um, I got to see how your hot are first before I can have the specialty the wings. Specialty or the wings. crazy things mm-hmm. you might yeah. be doing. And so what I found interesting about this is just that you have kind of become this figurehead in terms of ranking chicken wings. And is part of that driven by the fact that, like, you're you're not here anymore on a permanent basis, or at least you haven't been for a while. So when you come back to town, how much of it is just for you catharsis? Like, you come back and you just go nuts with wings and change your rankings and kind of update them? Well... Again, going back to when I was in Buffalo and taking so many things for granted in my life, like many people in Buffalo, I lived in an area and I always went to the same two or three places for wings. So all the years I lived in Buffalo, most of these places that I've reviewed and and done some fun stuff with, I never had them. And they were right in front of me for many, many years, in some cases, a couple decades, but I never had them. When I moved to Florida, and I promise you this, 
I could say this confidently. Florida, there's not if there's a place in the United States that has worse wings in Florida, I I don't even want to say I'd love to see them because I just can't imagine. Florida chicken wings are pathetic. They're the worst. They're terrible. No, I was going to say, I got a buddy of mine oh. who used to live in Pensacola. And when he would come home for Christmas every year, he would, uh, pizza and wings, he would eat it for all eight days that he was here. Because he's like, I won't be able to eat pizza and wings again for 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I started coming back to Buffalo and I every because I was fortunate with my job pre-COVID that I got to go back to Buffalo three, four times a year. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start going to all these wing places. At the time, I was blogging at least semi-regularly. And in fact, I was actually doing this with the wings before the podcast even started. And I wanted to do a little something different. Like, so I would write a review, like the pros, the cons. And then I don't remember them off the top of my head, but I also took every place and I compared them to an NFL quarterback. (laughs) You know what I mean? It could be a good one, a bad one. I started saying over a 16-game NFL season what their record would be. Just, you know, silly shit like that. And then I power ranked them. And here's what I learned. On my show earlier this week, we had a conversation about podcasting. And you alluded to the fact, which is an absolutely spot-on observation, that when you have a podcast, you got to have something different, something unique that you're not going to hear necessarily. Like in the case of yours, a lot of personal stuff and bits that you guys do that. You're only going to hear that. If you listen to the Rock Power Report, you're not going to hear it anywhere else. If it's just nothing but straight Bills talk, there's so many options, so many quality options. Not that you guys don't do a great job of talking Bills. No, I hear you, though. You, you <laughs> There's smarter stuff. people than well, us out there. <laughs> for me, I learned through time that when it comes to chicken wings, man, it's shocking to me that everybody has an opinion on them. Some people think my rankings are great. Some people think they're a, a steaming pile of shit. I understand that, but my point is... I learned quickly that everyone has an opinion on them. So when I discussed them or when I put something out, I was realizing, hey, man, people are really paying attention to this. And I got a lot of interaction, most of it positive, And uh, it was just something I do. So I, I keep evolving it. And every single time I go back, quite literally, I, I, I went two summers ago because, again, before COVID, I remember this. I was in Buffalo for 20 days. I had wings 23 different places over the course of 20 days. And I wrote about every last one of them, too. <laughs> I love chicken wings, man. I always did like them, but I only went to the same few places. Went down here, hated them. Went back up north, and then just fell in love with them, man. So yeah, one of my fa- one of my favorite shows you did was when you went out with uh, actually guy we toasted at the top of the show, Reed Ferguson, and you met him out for yeah. wings, and we you guys talked about them, and you reviewed the wings. It was a good show. I, I listened because our friend Reed was a part of it. And it kind of got me into your show. It kind of like, okay, this is what he does. This is what this is interesting. I'll listen to more of this. One of the critical questions here about chicken wings: Are you a drums guy or a flats guy? I am a flats guy, but 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 I used to when I first started, like really getting into wings. I would only have flats. I would not touch a drum. Now I'll eat drums. Like I used to say, there would be my order, and this is how bad I used to be. I'd be like, all right, Juice, so can I get a, a, a single order of wings, extra saucy, not too crispy, and as many flats as possible? That used to be my wing order, and I realize how terrible that is now. Now I get wings, and I just order them the way they're supposed to. I, don't, I, I let them make them the way that they want to make them. I don't say extra saucy. I don't say extra crispy. I don't say all drums, all flats. 
I prefer drum. I prefer flats. I mean, but I do like drums. But here's a take, and I know this is very unpopular in Buffalo. But I'm, I, you know, I'm just gonna say it. I'll throw myself under the bus. I hate blue cheese, and I hate ranch too. I don't like either of them, man. All right, I don't well, need them. The enemy give of my enemy is my friend. So I, I'll accept that because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I like that you're coming around on drums. Chris and I talk about it all the time. There's something animalistic. It's a caveman thing. Like I want to be able to yeah, take that wing I like and I want to be able to clean it in one bite. I don't want to have to break a bone. I don't want to have to do any fancy tricks with my tongue. I just want to be able to rip the meat off this thing and then hold it. Like, and I, I suck that thing to the marrow. Like, there's no tendon left on it. There's no cartilage. <laughs> I chew this thing to the bone. So it's easier to do with one thick bone that you know you're not going to bite through and then stab yourself in the mouth. Yeah, and they're a little meatier, too. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm an animal. But so you love ranking things, and that's where we talk about mock drafts. I mean, it's it's draft season. And typically we, Chris and I, spend the whole month doing position-by-position breakdowns of the draft class each and every show throughout the month. But kind of like in life, we either have to evolve and change or we just stagnate and die. (laughs) It seems... It almost seems stupid to say it that way because it's a little overdramatic. We're just drinking beer, doing a podcast. (laughs) At worst, we'd get bored. I'd get progressively drunker behind the microphone, and eventually Chris would just shut the microphones off. He would just (laughs) shut this off and let me just yell into the ether. So instead, we try to, year over year, we try to change things up. Mix things into the conversation that I'm curious about or might be kicking around inside my head. And I feel like this is the year to confront something that I've been running away from for a really long time. Mock drafts. (laughs) I want this to be known. If you guys think I hate the NFL Combine, I mean, we have listeners who tweet at us about hand sizes because I think I think most of the Combine is malarkey. Ninety percent of what goes on there, the average fan does. When people go, oh, look at this guy's three cone drill. Who gives a shit? Do you actually know what that three cone drill means? Do you? Or did you just hear someone smarter than you talk about it? And now you feel like, you know what I mean? Am I am I yeah. wrong? No, I feel the same exact way about the combine. I get angry about it. As I do most things, I get angrier than I probably should. So I despise mock drafts almost as much as the combine. I mean, thanks to our friend Mark Smith, I now get tagged on Twitter. Yeah. In all kinds of mock nonsense from other teams. We always have to tell our audience. Vikings mock drafts. I'm getting tagged in them by people because they're like, oh, yeah, this is hilarious. We know this will piss Drew off, which is why I love our listeners. Keep tagging us in mock drafts (laughs) on Twitter at Rockpile Report. But they're popular. I mean, the outlets like the Draft Network, Pro Football Network, they've created an engine for fans to do them on their own and easily share the results. And it it generates conversation. It gets their own personal brands out there, which helps those platforms. But I think it's more just because, I don't know, (laughs) just because I guess it's, it's gotten popular because it generates conversation. But just because something's popular doesn't mean it doesn't suck. I mean, you're an 80s guy. I mean, if that were the rule... I mean, there's a whole list of things that wouldn't have gotten any run over the last 30 years. Just because they're popular, I mean, they'd still suck. Bon Jovi. 
Okay, Bon Jovi, can you, will you agree with me that Bon Jovi kind of sucks? Bon Jovi more than kind of sucks. I, I can't stand Bon Jovi. And my wife will hear this and she's going to hate me for that. But yeah, <laughs> I, I can't stand Bon My wife's obsessed with Bon Jovi. She's seen him like five times. Anybody yeah, I who, hate Bon Jovi. And this great great real, comparison. This isn't even related to his like take, you know, hey, attempt to buy the Buffalo Bills. When you think about it, if you're under the age of 40, Try to name me seven songs by Bon Jovi. I bet you you can't do it. Why? Because he sucks. Because none of them got any mainstream play. Not during our lifetimes. Because he stinks. He stinks on ice. And he made acid wash jeans a thing, which also makes him suck. The Twilight series. Okay? You're a TV and movie guy. The Twilight series was garbage. And Kristen Stewart might be one of the worst actresses of all time. Yeah, I agree. She kept getting movie roles. I don't understand because she's a living iteration of Derek Zoolander. She has one face. That's it. Her version (laughs) of acting is just her making one face and squinting sometimes. Like, who who else did that? Uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's acting is just him squinting at things. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Fisher. doing it, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right? Jeff Fisher. He sucks, too. Never mind holding the head coach losses record or the fake Magnum P.I. mustache. That fake against the Buffalo Bills. Chris, you remember that game? Because we went viral because of my reaction to the Nikel Roby interception for a touchdown. Oh, yeah, that was great against the uh, the Rams there. Pat, during your show, we Chris talked about how he loves watching me watch the game of football. During that game, he was recording my reaction. I was ranting about how Case Keenum was tearing up our secondary. I was like, this is the worst passing offense in football, and they're carving us up. And as soon as I finished that sentence, Roby Coleman pick-sixed him. And I just had to sit there with a look of defeat on my face. And people in the room are trying to high-five me, and I can't bring myself to do it. And it went viral. But in that game, they, they lost because they tried a fake punt from their own 38-yard line. Right? But mm-hmm. earlier in the game... They punted from the Bills 40. Why would you run? Look, if you're, if you're that conservative, why are you running a fake punt from your own 38? And then the post game, he go he tried to explain it away as, oh, when, when, when it works, it's real good stuff. <laughs> that cements him as an all-time boob, but people think he's great. People thought That's Jeff crazy. Fisher was a good coach. <sighs> but when it comes to mock dress, so, so we've established that some people think things are good and they just suck unequivocally. But I can't wrap my head around what people see in mock drafts, and I'm hoping that you can help me because you have some experience in this. You do this on a regular basis on your show. You have Aaron Quinn from Cover One, and you guys do mock drafts. (laughs) And you have an understanding, I'm hoping, of the value or the entertainment that comes out of these things. Well, let me say this. First and foremost, a lot of what you said about mock drafts, I actually agree with you. I can't stand mock drafts like for starters before free agency starts. That's like my biggest pet peeve. Like, why are you doing a mock draft before a guy goes out and gets a forty million dollar left tackle? Who you know that team had the third pick of the draft. That's why I think mock drafts are completely stupid and useless as well. I mean, they're stupid in general, but they're useless before free agency even starts. Chris, another thing too. Another thing with mock drafts is this: I don't really like Aaron and I aren't really doing NFL mock drafts. We're doing Buffalo Bills mock drafts, and I'll, I'll try to explain what I mean by that with the difference. 
What I like about them is I feel like through the course of doing a handful of these now, that I'm starting to learn like who might be there, who might not be there. I mean, we don't know who the Bills, only that war room is going to know what the Bills are truly looking at positional-wise right now. But you start to get a better sense of if you want a specific player, like where you're going to have to move up to get that guy, or if you think you can move down and still get that guy. Like, for an example, let's just say the Bills in, in one of our mock drafts. In fact, our first two that we did, we said no trades. For the Bills, at least anyway. I don't know what the rest of the computer did. So we had the computer simulate the other 31 teams, and we don't have any control over who goes because that's kind of the way it is in a real draft. You only control, the Buffalo Bills can only control when they're on the clock, right? So the other teams that pick in front of the Bills, you kind of learn from it, and I really don't care who takes the quarterback. I don't care who takes the linebackers or the tackles. I care about the 29 guys that are going before the Bills if they're going to stand at 30. And, I, and you start to see some patterns from that. And I think educationally, it, it, you, you can learn something from it. And I know this much, I know for sure, the Buffalo Bills and every team in the NFL are doing these constantly. They're in their draft rooms or whatever you want to call them, war rooms, and some of their scouts are handling other teams who are looking in the needs and players that they think that they're scouting. And they're doing mock drafts almost on a daily basis, trying to figure out what teams are the most likely to to want to move back if we want to move up and stuff like that. So I, I get it. And it, it besides the water cooler value of it, I do feel like there's something that you can learn if you do enough of them in terms of what guys might be there or what positions you ultimately can lock into. Okay. So now, and I'll say this, Chris, you've commented multiple times that we try to stagger our shows in terms of what positions we do. We talk about when over the course of the month of April leading up to the draft. We've hit pretty consistently. We try to put the, what we think or what I think are the most relevant positions to where we'll draft early in the first two rounds closer to the draft. And I try to put the ones that are kind of more outliers or at least like based on our depth chart might seem like eh, we might draft some depth guys, but there's no we're not taking a big swing in any of these positions. And when you put them towards the beginning of the month, that's just for the sake of. Hey, recency bias, I want to be able to put out my best show, do my the most amount of research I can, but also just have something that's topical, the way I see it, closest to the event. And Chris has pointed out that the last couple of years, we've been spot on with where we've, our last couple of shows, we've drafted highly each one of these positions. And so mock drafts, I guess I can see the logic in seeing how the draft board is going to fall. When you see it enough times, you start to build up an expectation. Now, you've done three mock drafts on your podcast, and each time you alter the rules a little bit. In terms of the varied approaches that you've taken, I mean, Brandon Bean is illustrated during his tenure here. He's not afraid to move around the draft board. I mean, 2018 was his first draft, and he goes out and just swings for the fences, finds a way up to number eight and takes Josh Allen. Then the next year in 2019, he goes out and he says, okay, well, I want I want a tackle. I'm going to find a way to get Cody Ford. And, he, and you saw in the Bills Embedded series that he was really working the phones. <laughs> he, had, he was disappointed when Carolina traded up and took Greg Little. 
because he thought that Cody Ford was gone. And when he saw that that wasn't the case, he was like, I don't go do whatever it takes to get this guy. What that tells me is that he's not a guy who's afraid to move around. Now, you've done a couple drafts. You did your first one with no movement. But since then, you've kind of freed that up. What kind of results have you seen come out in mock drafts that you've done when you allowed Aaron to kind of take a more aggressive pro-trade approach to mock drafts? Uh, I haven't, so far to this point, I have not been happy really with any of that. We've done three, and we'll be doing a fourth this week. I'm not really thrilled with any of them. So what I've learned is if the Bills stay at 30, and this is just my personal preference, I could be entirely off base here. The guys that are going to be there at 30, I'm, I'm not really, at least, and, and again, we use Draft Network. Shout out, you know, Joe Marino and all those guys, but they don't know how the board is going to end up ultimately playing out during the draft. But if it falls the way that they kind of simulated the other teams and the Bills stay at 30, I don't really love it. Now, we did a, our first draft. And we ended up going, and by the way, we talked about this before we had started taping our, our first one, Aaron and I, and we said, no preconceived notions here. We're going to go with what we think is the best player. We didn't go in with one specific strategy. So our first one, we did no trades whatsoever. And we ended up all offense, or not all offense, but the first two picks, uh, Travis ATN, the running back, was our, our first pick at 30. And then Landon Dickerson, an interior guy from Alabama, was our second round pick. Which, by the way, I love him, and he ain't going to be there at 61. So if the Bills think they're going to get him at 61 or anyone out there who's doing mock drafts, stop it. Because I can promise you that's not going to happen. Anyway, our second mock draft, we were able to do trades, but we decided not to. And it sort of worked out a little bit. Eric Stokes, a corner, fell to us at 30. We ended up, anyway, so offense, we went like four of our first guys were offense in our first draft. And then our second one it was the opposite. It was almost all defense. And then in our last one, and this is why I said I'm starting to learn a little bit. Because our first one, we said, this is the first time where we'll move up in the first round of the draft if we want. And it got to around, I don't know, pick 23, 24. And there were a couple defensive ends there. I think like maybe three. I can't remember off the top of my head who they were. But they were all guys that would have interested me. A couple corners that I liked were gone. Aaron as well. And it got to be like pick 26 or something like that. And we, we decided to roll the dice and see what would happen if we waited to 30. And it was a nightmare scenario. The Bills got to 30, and the best player on the board was a wide receiver, Kadarius <laughs> Tony, And we ended up drafting him because the other best player on the board was a defensive tackle and then I think an offensive tackle, which the Bills aren't going to take a tackle in the first round. There's no way. Not after signing Darrell Williams to three years and they got Dawkins. They're not using a first-rounder on a tackle. And it wasn't like one of those swing tackles who could play guard either. It was a straight-up offensive tackle. See, So we ended up taking a receiver. And I, I, I never spent two seconds until we were on the clock at Big 30 thinking for a second that we were going to take a wide receiver. And, and we did. And this is why this type of exercise is interesting to me. Because we talk to guys over the format of what we do in terms of draft prep I mean, you talked about Travis Etienne being available at pick 30, and that was your pick for that mock draft, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, we just talked to Matt Waldman of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio in our last podcast, and while fans have spent weeks on social media talking about how 
hopefully our running back of choice is available at pick 30. He genuinely believes that not only will there be one running back taken in the first round, one, if any, one, maybe zero, and that if he was the GM making the pick based on his process, which has proven pretty lucrative for him, it wouldn't be ETN or Harris because they're not even in the top two at his position at yeah. that position in his rankings and the way that he kind of analyzes the position. And for what that's worth, this is the guy who won Chris and I a substantial amount of money pegging Nick Chubb as the dude who won't get the same amount of run as Saquon Barkley, but could be just as talented. And that's that's borne out through the numbers. So when you see that, it's like, oh, you take a running back and you think about it. <sighs> Chris, what are the odds that actually happens? We're not drafting and running back. Well, that's it. But you take that and you go, oh, Travis Etienne was there. You're happy about it now, but now what you're seeing is, okay, if he was the running back available. Now, let me ask you, would you have preferred a different running back or are you a fan of a running back at that 30 pick? I personally, like Williams, the who many people consider the third running back as much as ATN. And I don't know about maybe Najee Harris, but... um. I don't know. Uh, Javante Williams is the guy I was trying to think of. There you go. I like him. And he's the guy who, again, in these mock drafts, if the Bills were to stay at 30, and let's just say in a fantasy world, they are open to taking a running back, it feels like that's the guy that would be on the board at 30, whereas ATN and Harris maybe are gone. ATN, to me, it's a little bit of a, a dice roll, and I know there's a lot. That's obviously been like the hot topic amongst Bills fans this offseason is running back. I don't know. It's it's a it's a dice roll in a way because it's it's a risk. Is this guy the next CJ Spiller or is he the next Elvin Kamara? If you knew you were going to get Elvin Kamara and you had to get a guy in the first round for five years, you're going to tell me you wouldn't be taking him? Well, that's, I, know I would be, and that's exactly what made the Chiefs make the move they did last year taking Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, which is why it's interesting to see where Buffalo is. Now, in the middle rounds, you know, the first round gets all the press when it comes to mock drafts. That's what everybody likes to look at. Have you found in the third, fourth, fifth, kind of that middle round where it seems Bean has really been able to find some value in his time here? Have you been relatively happy with the kind of middle rounds that you're seeing in these mock drafts you've done? Yeah, and I'm glad you said that too because – People spend so much time talking about mock drafts in the first round, and we just all tend to romanticize the first round. Drafts aren't really one there, man. You look at the Bills for an example. Look at their non-first rounders. Now, these aren't necessarily guys that the Bills drafted, but they're non-first rounders who are in Buffalo right now. Dawkins and Milano. Stephon Diggs was like a fifth-round pick. Uh, Jordan Boyer, Micah Hyde. Uh, Darrell Williams was a fifth-round pick. Cole Beasley. Mitch Morris, Gabe Davis in the fourth. None of those guys are first-rounders, and that's a very big core nucleus of the Buffalo Bills. So, yeah, that's where a lot of team building comes. Our drafts, sure. Tyler Shelvin's is a defensive tackle from LSU that Aaron and I both like. Big guy. Both of our first two versions, we got him in the third round. We talked a little bit about Dean Marlowe on my show earlier this week, losing him, and that's maybe one position the Bills really haven't done anything to replace. They're thin behind Poyer and Hyde right now. I could see third, fourth, 
fifth round, as high as three. I mean, who knows? Maybe even two. So there's a safety, a divine Diablo from Virginia Tech. We've taken him in both our second and our third mock draft. I think we got him in the fifth round. So, yeah, I've been pretty happy with the value. I think I think when you get to the, the third through fifth round, and they don't have a fourth currently anyway, so it's third and two fifths, any position there is open, but I think that that could be a position, the third or the two fifths, that you really see a sit the safety position address or defensive tackle. See, and that's interesting to me because that's where Bean tends to find his best values. I mean, yeah. really, as a GM, he's done the work. And we talk about how the early picks get all the run. Over at, go to our Twitter feed at Rockpile Report. You can look at it. I like just to describe the sickness I have about football. I saw one tweet today. It all started with a singular tweet from uh, somebody who follows the NFL draft talking about how Marcus May was the first. Okay, draft nugget from Rich Samini said safety Marcus May who recently signed his franchise tag tender will be the first former second round draft pick since since linebacker David Harris in 2007 to get a second contract with the Jets. Now, a light bulb went off in my head, and I go, okay, last week we opened one of our shows talking about how they've traded away their last six consecutive first-round picks before the end of the rookie deals. What the hell is this team doing at the top of the draft board? So I created a chart. I went back and charted the data. The Jets' draft history over from 2008 to 2018, a decade, right? Total picks, they had 20. The number of picks they extended was two. They traded away seven of those players. Six of them got released before the rookie contract expired. They literally have nine players out of that crop with less than two, uh, nine players with less than two seasons as a starter in the NFL. Not just for them, but for anyone, any team. The top of the draft is such a dice roll. Knowing that we have a GM who can hit in the middle rounds, that's huge. That's huge for a football team that's trying to build. And the the fact that your mock drafts are kind of providing value there and the fact that he historically has proven that he can find it and that we have picks there, I like the sound of this. Now, you personally, are you pro-defensive line, offensive line, or do you think that we should be continuing to add skill players? And have you seen that kind of bear out in your exercises? I All right, so here's my take. In a perfect world, if I were the Buffalo Bills and I was in charge of this draft right now in a few weeks, and obviously the board would fall the way I hope it would, I would want to go probably defensive end with my first pick. Either defensive end, there's three positions that I think could and will be the Bills' first pick. Whether it's 30 or moving up or moving back, it's either defensive end, it's either corner, or an interior offensive lineman. Because despite the fact that people think the Bills' offensive line starting unit is set right now at guard, it's not. It's not. Feliciano, don't write him in pen yet as a starter. You might not even want to write Cody Ford quite yet in pen as a starter. If a guy like Landon Dickerson, it wouldn't be that big of a reach if the Bills were to stay at 30 or maybe move down a couple and take him. He could be a guy that could be a day one starter at guard. That's a position of... You know, the Bills could use an improvement there. I like defensive end. The problem is, and again, this is one of the reasons why I'm glad that I do this weekly exercise with Bills' block drafts because 
I've learned that defensive ends are going off the board in these simulated mock drafts. Again, the computer is controlling them in the picks leading up to the Bills pick. Like they're going off, starting with like say uh, Tennessee's picking like twenty two, or, or the Jets at twenty three, the Steelers at twenty four, the Jags at twenty five, Baltimore at twenty seven is almost I wouldn't say a lock, but they're probably taking a defensive end. The Saints are a, a a very big threat to go defensive end. Green Bay's one pick in front of the Bills. They're a threat to go defensive end too. So if you really like defensive end and you think that's a priority. I don't see one of those guys falling like Quiddy Pay or, or Jalen Phillips or Aziz um, Ujulari. I think those are the three, probably the three guys that the Bills would have on their pick or on their board the highest. I don't think any of those three guys are going to be there at 30. That's what I'm starting to settle into. If the Bills don't move up and they stay at 30, that they're going to take a corner. <sighs> see, I like that. And I like how these exercises bear out providing you a little bit of insight and it sets a level of expectation because you're like, Hey, I, I like defensive end. I, I think that this is the thing. This is the thing. But based on what I've seen, this is what I'm, I'm gravitating towards with my expectations. Now, Chris, we talked about setting up our remaining shows before we went on air. Again, this is probably something Chris is going to roll his eyes at me and get mad that I'm talking about because it, it underscores a little bit of how unprepared or at least how by the seat of our pants, We'd like to do some of these things. We're still looking to schedule the back half of our draft podcasts. And as we're getting them locked in, I keep pushing cornerback. I told you, we like to schedule what we think to be a need closer to the draft. Cornerback seems to be one where it's like, I need this to be probably the week of or the week before. Why? Because I think that's a play. I can see the Bills doing this. It it makes sense. The value makes sense. Logically, you would want, Chris, they just need a corner too. They just spent seven and a half million dollars last year on one year of Josh Norman. That didn't pan out. It didn't. But it's the first meaningful step the team has taken to trying to address cornerback too in terms of significant money. But they've They've been swinging for the fences for years. They, nah, I shouldn't say swinging for the fences, but they've been going out to the market and saying, look, we have a rookie. We have a young guy. Let's get a Philip Gaines. Let's bring in Avante Davis. And let's, EJ Gaines. Let's bring in EJ Gaines. Let's bring in a Kevin, uh, was it Kevin Williams? Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson, who unfortunately mm-hmm. got, I mean, he had his first healthy season in five years with Buffalo and then got decimated by injury the second he signed with Cleveland. Like, that sucks. But it underscores that they've always had an eye on cornerback, too. They've always tried adding some kind of what they viewed as, hey, we'll let an underclassman try to grow into the role, but we're going to sign a guy to hedge our bets. And then this year they swung for the fences and said, Josh Norman, we're going to spend $7 million to bring in a guy who was a pro bowler in McDermott's system. It didn't pan out. I think at this point they've tried everything except for drafting one in the early. You know what I mean? Yeah. Spending significant capital. Which is why, to me, it's interesting to hear that in your mock drafts, it's kind of borne out that the best value seems to be that. (laughs) Which is what we, as guys who hate mock drafts, figured out just looking at this that, hey, this might be the position the Bills go at. We all got to the same logical conclusion. 
you firmed that up by doing mock drafts, something I thought had no value as we started talking about this. I think one of there's two positions where I think a guy at 30 can come in and be a day one starter. One of them I mentioned is guard and the other one is corner. A defensive end, even if they move up for a defensive end, he's not starting on day one. No. My my strategy, what I wanted to see with my last mock draft, what I hoped for, and it backfired. And when I said we ended up taking a wide receiver, it's because I went in with the strategy of saying, I want to stay at 30 and get one of these three or four defensive ends that I really like at 30. And then I'd be willing to move up in the second round from 61, 10, 15 spots and get a good corner. Because I think there's like seven or eight really good corners in this draft. Um, Sertain is going to be gone early. Horn and, and is definitely going to be gone early. Farley's an injury. He could go top 12 or he might be there at 28. Who knows right now? But anyway, that was my strategy. But it backfired because, again, by not trading up, those defensive ends went and we ended up taking a corner. I would be very good with taking a corner in the first round. And I think if they stay at 30 and they don't want to move up, I think that's a position that I think they could get a day one money starter, man, right right from the right from the start. One last thing too. Everyone so everyone does mock drafts and they put them on Twitter. Hey, you like my mock draft or whatever, and people react to them. It's not doing trades ain't always that easy. For starters, <laughs> it takes two teams to tangle. And secondly, you know, for all the great things about the draft network, sometimes the trade offers that they give you could be a little bit like lopsided. If you go by the the draft value chart, which is outdated, and I know that, and so it's not completely accurate. But I did a little bit of research, and I. So if you want to be realistic here, so if your goal, if you're the Buffalo Bills at 30, and you really love a a guard or, or I don't want to say wide receiver, but you never know a defensive end, whatever, and you want to move up and go get them, but you don't want to give up your 2022 first, and you don't want to give up your 2021 second rounder. If you want to give up, if you gave up your first and your third. That would get you up to about pick 23 or 24. If it gave up your first, your third, and your fifth, it would get you up to about maybe 22 or 21 at the highest. Or if you gave up your first and both fifths, that would just get you up a couple spots. So if you're not planning on giving up your second rounder this year or first next year, realistically, you're only moving up four to five spots at the very most. So some of these guys who are talking about the Bills moving up to 19 and getting – uh you know, a, a great guard, like the top guard off the board and not having to give up a second or a first next year, that, that's just crazy and it's not going to happen. See, and that's what we talk about, setting expectations. And that's, that's the note I want to end this on, is that I've learned in this conversation alone that I guess there is a little bit of value to mock drafts, more so than I was willing to give it in the past, simply because it does help you set an expectation level for what a team is capable of in terms of, uh, no, because I see it all the time on social media. I mean, I, I equate them to WGR callers who call in and don't understand the salary cap and want a guy cut. Oh, we should cut that player. Well, it's going to cost us $9 million to do that. They're never. That's never going to happen. It's the same thing with some of these trades. So this mock draft, I guess these mock drafts really do help educate some fans on how this works. And it helps set an expectation level for what a team can probably accomplish. I like that. And I like the fact that you're doing it. Now, why don't you tell everybody what you have coming up this week over on the Talking Buffalo podcast and where they can find you on social? Well, you can find me on social media at Pabaran Tweets, Talking Buffalo podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. 
Yeah. New shows Tuesday, Tuesdays and Fridays. I'm doing mock drafts every Wednesday leading up to the draft. I got casual Friday with Del Reed from 26 shirts uh, every Friday. And I'm going to be in Buffalo, so I'm try, I don't, I don't want to say yet who I'm going to have on, but I'm hoping to be able to get live with a couple people and do a couple shows over the next uh, week or two. One last draft point, Drew, before we wrap this up. The Bills are in a weird position right now, too, because you talked about this. Brandon Bean has been really good at hitting on those middle value draft picks. But here's the deal. Things could go either way with this draft because, yeah, you want to accumulate talent. You want to get a lot of guys on rookie deals. But here's the deal. They got seven draft picks right now. Let's just say the Bills don't make any trades. Seven rookies, and this is the fun thing about this roster, how good it is. Seven rookies ain't making this roster. Years past, they could have six, seven, eight draft picks. They're all making this roster. <laughs> you, dra- you draft seven dudes. They're not making the roster. We talked that, about my frustration. We talked about my frustration about the Rex Ryan era. Ross Cockrell. Ross Cockrell. Ross Cockrell made the roster. Why? I, I mean, granted, he grew into a starting role eventually. Somewhere else. He shouldn't have been here. He shouldn't have been on. A, if you thought you were a playoff team, that guy shouldn't have been on your team. I think the Bills are going to move up. I think whether it's 30 or 61 or maybe even both of those picks, I would not be stunned whatsoever. I obviously have no idea who they're going to take. I'm starting to lean more and more as I go through these exercises, corner or guard with that first pick, and we'll see how it plays out with defensive end. I guess it's just who's going to be on the board. But Pat Moran, Talking Buffalo Podcast. He's on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets, part of the Blue Wire Network. Now that I'm sitting on. here two fist and beers, I gotta tell you, I, feel, I, I, I feel dirty because I enjoyed talking about those mock drafts a little bit. I, I enjoyed learning a little bit more about the process. I, I, I guess it's one of those things too where it's interesting to see that you know I like to think I know a thing or two about football. It's the only reason anybody tunes in. That and my just my outbursts on things. People find that entertaining. But here's what I'll say is that I think that they I think it's nice knowing that you can come to the same like the people who are out there just doing mock drafts and those of us who are studying this and doing podcasts and everything about it can come to the same logical conclusions on some things and can learn this some of the same things about value and everything else through just even though we get there totally opposite ways. In that light, I guess mock drafts don't seem that bad. I don't. I mean, it, I don't have a problem with mock draft. They're just like I think. I think where most of my problem stems from, Chris, is I keep asking myself the question: If a mock, if you did a mock draft and then didn't post it on social media, did it actually happen? Like it's almost like the, the, the tree falling in the forest analogy. Yeah. If a mock draft took place and it didn't find its way to social media, did it actually happen? Yeah, it's, I, it's, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's like mock, mock drafts, they're they're fun to do. Like, you get to play GM. Here's, here's, here's what I'll say. I just, I enjoy the fact that I guess you can really take football knowledge away from an exercise like that. And maybe I should stop taking shots at it. I'm probably not going to, I'm going to try. Okay, I'm not going to promise that I'm all of a sudden going to become a stand for mock drafts or that I'm going to do my own and start posting them on Twitter. I'm just going to try to hate the ones that you guys waterboard me with less. Okay, I, I feel like Will Ferrell right now. 
as I'm sitting here slamming beers. I feel like Will Ferrell in Blades of Glory when he's inside that costume. He's all hammered, and they start throwing garbage at him when he's. It's like their version of Disney on Ice. Yeah, and he's, and he's just like bitches trying to be heroes. <laughs> and he's just like, that's right. Let it rain down on me. That's where I've landed with mock drafts. So thank you to Pat for helping get me to this point. Chris, look at that personal growth. Did you ever think you'd say it? No, you and personal <laughs> growth should never be uttered in the same sentence. It's unlikely at best. Folks, this has been a lot of fun, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.